ดุยดุยAbout you, but uh, do you ever have anything negative happen in your life? <laughs> so the question is, how do we overcome those things? How do we become negative circumstances in our life? How do we how do we find the joy and the peace that God says that we have? So I want you to turn, if you will, over to Second Corinthians, and I want to read. A verse from second, uh, three verses from Second Corinthians chapter ten, verse three through six, and I want to read one verse from First John chapter five, verse four. Listen to what it says, starting with verse three, chapter ten. It says, "For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal." but mighty in God pulling down strongholds. Verse 5, casting down arguments and everything that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Verse 6, and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Also, 1 John chapter 5, verse 4 says this, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. Whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. And what is it? Our faith. Let's pray. Father, I pray simply 
that you be with us today. And I pray simply that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. For you're our strength, you're our redemption. We cannot do this without you. This is what we've said over and over again. We pray, Father, that the Holy Spirit would have his way today. For it is only as he anoints things and he takes words and things and makes them make sense that we can come away with realizing why we're in church today. Be with us today, we pray, Father. We ask this, that we bring glory and honor into your name, and I ask this in Jesus' name, for your sake, amen. You're 23 years old, and you can't sleep because you just got a new job. Tomorrow will be your first day, and, 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 and you're tossing and turning because you're wondering if you'll fit in. You've heard the job environment is very liberal and non-Christian. You're 33 years old and you're in debt. In fact, you have five installments due and you don't know where the first dime is going to pay for the first one. You're 43 years old and you've been going to the same church for years, but there's a person there that just irritates you and that every night your mind is giving you a video replay and you just cannot sleep. You're 53 years old and you can't sleep because rumors are running wild that there's going to be a huge layoff at your job and it could mean the end of the job even though you thought you would retire from this place. You and your wife are not getting along and there's a tendency to go to the internet and look at things that you know you shouldn't, that it can only make things worse. How do you find peace? When you're living in that time or worrying in turmoil. And, or, and, and, and when many times you did not create the turmoil. Or you're 55 years old and you've accomplished almost every goal that you've set in your life. You've reached a plateau. You've reached that corner office. You're making the money that, that, that would astonish most people. You drive the car you want to. You live in the house you want to. And yet you feel insignificant. You understand it just didn't satisfy. And even though you've gotten to that mountain, all you realize is just that there's just another mountain to climb. And how many people do we know that are living like that? And many are consumed with the uncertainty of life. Yet the Bible says this in Psalms 4.8. It says, I will both lie down in peace and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, will make me dwell in safety. Did you get that? You know, did you notice as a psalmist why the psalmist could lay down and sleep? Because God alone makes him dwell in safety. With all the things that we've got going on in this world today, with all the threats and the terrorists and all the other things and what's going to happen, what, only God can give us the safety that we need to have to lay down and sleep at night. I once read that in any situation that we are faced with, that there is a second that comes to us from the realization of what is happening to the point we decide what we'll do. In other words, here comes something, and yet 
right here in the middle, there's a second in between that we decide how we're going to react to that situation. It is in that second that I determine, do I do what Philippians 4, 6 says when it tells us that, you know, that in, in all things in prayer and supplication, uh, letting my request be made known to God, and then it tells us that the peace of God shall that passes all understanding will guard my heart and guard my soul. Is that what I'll do? And, 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 you know, is that it? And do I understand the word supplication? Supplication means basically the things, the prayer and supplication. I think we understand prayer, but the word supplication means the things that I'm asking God for. But it means more than that. The word supplication also means presupposing things. What do you mean by that, Lee? Satan loves to come to you and make you worry about things that will never happen. And so supplication becomes those thoughts, those things. What if this happens? What if this happens? What if this, this takes place? What if the economy crashes? What, what, what if my kids have an accident? What if this happens? We could, we, there's so many things. He wants you to focus on that when the Bible says it's in him that we live and we move and we have our being. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith is what we need to do. In that second, we either give it to the Lord or we decide to go it alone. And one of the reasons that people won't turn to Christ is first, they realize that they're sinners, but the other is the attraction of the Christian life. That's the reason they come. The Bible talks about life of victory over the world. John wrote that the person who has come to Christ has been born again, experienced with Christ, will overcome this world. That's what he said. Well, let me ask the question. How many of us do we know people like that? How many of us do we know, how many people do we know that really are overcoming the world, are coming to a place that they're living the abundant life that Christ talked about in, in John 10, 10 when, when he tells us simply that the, uh, that the thief comes not to accept, accept to steal and to kill, but he says, I have come to give you life and to give it to you more abundantly. Are you experiencing the abundant life? Or Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It doesn't say I can do all things. It says I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It also says this in Ephesians 3. Now unto him who is able to do. This is a whole chapter where Paul says, I bow my knees to the Lord. And I pray that you would comprehend with all the saints what is the width, the length, the height, the depth of the love of Jesus. And then he says to know the love of Christ. And then he says this, unto him who's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we think or ask according to the power that works in you. There's a power that works in you that you can do exceedingly abundantly above all that you, even can, you can't even imagine. You know, we love to read that verse of Scripture and we think about heaven when the Bible says, Or I have not seen, nor ear heard, nor hath entered in the heart of man what God has in store for them that love him. But guess what? The next verse, read on, rise the next verse. But God has revealed it to us by his Spirit. He's already given it to you. He's given it to you. You have the power within you to live the life that God wants you to live. 
You have the power within you to live a life of peace. You have the power within you to live a life of joy. But Psalm 16 says that in his presence is fullness of joy and at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. And the reason we don't have that joy is because we're not in his presence like we should be. We just don't have it. We're not, we, we, there's that reluctance to it. And so I want to, you know, so in that second, what do we decide? The Bible talks about a life of victory in the world. It also says this in 1 John 4, 4, you are God. Listen to this. He, he, he positively, he says to you, you are of God, little children. That's what he says. You, you. He's not talking to somebody else. He's talking to you. You are of God, little children. And then he goes on to say, he goes on to say, you're God, little children. And, and look at this, and have overcome them. And why would you be able to overcome the circumstances, the situation you're in? Why would you be able to? Because greater is he that is in you than he is in the world. It had nothing to do with you. It's because Christ lives within you. Christ lives within you. And because Christ lives within you, and Christ is greater than anything, because he lives within you, you're able to do this. He goes on to John 16, 33. He says, these things have I spoken to you. That in you, listen to this. You say, well, my life is just turmoil more. You know? You know, everything in my life and everything in my world is just falling apart. Well, that's why Jesus tell, He said, these things have I spoken to you that in me you may have peace. Why do you have peace? The only reason you have peace is in Him. It's in Him you have peace. In Him you have peace. And He goes on to say, in the world you're going to have tribulation. Well, Hello. Why do you think you should be not have a tribulation? You're going to have tribulation in this world. But then he tells you this. Be of good cheer. Be of good cheer. Why? I have overcome the world. He has already done it. You see, what Jesus is wanting us to do is this. He's already won the battle. He's not asking you. You know, it's interesting to me that when the children of Israel went into the promised land, there were still giants there. There were still walled cities. There were still things that they had to overcome. But he told them, wherever where you put your feet, you know, wherever you stand, that, that is yours. In other words, he's saying, I've already gone in there, done the work. All I want you to do is just maintain. That's all he's wanting you to do in your life. He just wants you to maintain what he's already won. He's already done the work. You know, there, I can't, I mean, you know, there are certain verses of Scripture that I just repeat over and over again. But I think about it. I think about what Hebrews 3 says. Hebrews 3 tells us that when he tells us that they refuse to go into the promised land, and he doesn't say they refuse to go into the promised land. He said they refuse to go into my rest. They didn't go into his rest. He'd done everything. He, 
Red Sea. Uh, he gave them water out of a rock. He provided manna for them. He, when they wanted food, more food, they, he provided doves for them. He did all this stuff. He defeated people with snakes. He took care of everything. And yet they get there and they would not enter into the promised land because they said they're giants and things. They didn't see what he had done. And yet he doesn't say they wouldn't enter into the promised land. He said they wouldn't enter into my rest. And then he comes over in Hebrews 4. And Hebrews 4 says, There is therefore a rest for the people of God. For they that are his have entered into it. They may cease from their own labors. What does it mean to cease from your own labors? Get out of his way and let Jesus have his way in your life. That's what it means. That's what we don't do. We don't depend on him. Somebody said the Christian life is basically come to Jesus, be saved, then go live your life. Well, I I don't know. We got to do something. What are you going to do? That was what got the Jews in problems. They went about to establish their own righteousness rather than the righteousness of God. And so, he, and so in John 16, he tells us, you know, that I've spoken to you that in me you may have peace in the world, you may have tribulation, but it be a good cheer, I've overcome the world. What do, what do we miss? Where's that peace? It's in Christ. So how do I become an overcomer? There's some things I need to understand. First thing I need to understand is where your source is. Or should I say, who is your source is? What I see among Christian people is that they too many trying to handle their problems and their trouble as if Jesus doesn't exist. They're living by that great gospel verse that says, God helps those who help themselves. It's not in the Bible, guys. You pray about everything. You pray about everything. You give everything to him. It's what you do. You know, and what I see among Christian people is that too many are trying to handle their problems. And the trouble is, is if Jesus doesn't exist. You know, a lot of Christians today are living like functional atheists. What do you mean by that, Lee? Well, what's an atheist do? An atheist, uh, he doesn't pray. A lot of Christians don't pray. Atheists don't go to church. A lot of Christians, they don't go to church. If they do, they, they try to say, well, you know, you don't really have to go. Even though Jesus said, don't forsake the assembling together of yourself. Uh, they don't pray. They don't witness to anybody. Well, Christians, there's a lot of Christians never say a word. Oh, Lord, I don't want to say that, you know. I want to be, I want to be, you know, politically correct, you know. I got to do that, you know. You know? So what's the difference? You see what I'm saying? What's the difference? Are you living like a functional atheist? Or do you, are, are, see, you don't have to do those things to go to heaven, But the Bible says that the grace of God has appeared unto all men, teaching us to deny ungodliness. In other words, grace does something. Why does grace do something? Because what grace is, you cannot cannot separate grace from Jesus Christ. You say, I have the grace of God. Then you have Jesus. So, you know, 
the question that too many ask because they don't know the word of God is why is this happening to me? Well, why is God punishing me? Why is God doing it? I just don't. Because he loves you, that's why. The word tells us without faith it's impossible to please God. So God wants to increase your faith. So the Lord then wants us to grow up in faith. And so he allows things to come into our life that we must trust him and him alone. And we grow and we increase in faith for the next challenge. And that's why, you know, that's why the Bible says over and over, I'm doing a lot of things I didn't count on saying, so this is going to be a long sermon. I'm afraid to tell you that. But, but Romans, Romans 1, 17 says this, For the righteousness, listen to this, what does it say? 1, 1 16, For the grace of God, come on Lee, that, that I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. But then it comes into 1, 17. Listen to what it says in 1, 17. 1, 17 says, For the righteousness of God has been revealed from what? Faith. To faith, to faith, to faith, to faith. What's he doing? God allows things to come into your life and you trust him in this thing. And guess what? As that, your faith begins to grow. Next thing, here comes, so he sends, allow something else to come. Your faith in that. Here comes something else. Faith, faith, to faith, to faith, to faith. That's what he's trying to do in your life. You know, you ask, people ask, what, Lord, you went to the question, okay, Lord, what are you up to? What are you doing in my life that causes me to do this? How many can honestly say, there have been a time that they persevered through a problem by trusting in the Lord, and not once did I lean into my own understanding. How many people can say that? Trying to figure out how this problem could be solved by myself, but trusting the Lord through the whole thing. So let me ask, when problems arise, what's your first impulse? Is it, oh God, what am I going to do? Or is it, have I got to get alone and tell Jesus. I got to get alone and tell Jesus. I got to tell Jesus. My kids are acting like a nut. I got to get alone and tell Jesus. You know, I don't know how I'm going to pay this bill. I've got to get alone and I got to tell Jesus. The doctor says, I got a problem. I got to get alone and tell the doctor Jesus. Amen. That's what I've got to do. You know, what's your first impulse? Ephesians 16 says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. So I got to know who my source is. Second thing is, be prepared for trouble or problems by putting on the whole, by putting on the whole armor, armor of God. Now, you know, Ephesians 6, Ephesians chapter 6. Verse 11 says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And, and so here, here it, so you put on that armor and, and you're able to stand. But then in, in 613, listen to what it says in 613. It says, therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand. Look at this. In that evil day and having done all to stand. What does that mean, in that evil day? That means that God is not going to let you continually go through something. He's going to end it. He's going to end it. In other words, the, uh, the, the Bible says, notice in that day, you know, because 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 says, No temptation has taken, overtaken you except as common to man. But God, who is faithful, who will not allow you 
to be tempted beyond what you're able, but will with the temptation also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear. And the temptation may not be something that you've done wrong or breaking the commandment. The temptation may be a sickness or a a, a relationship or whatever else. If somebody just throws in you fits, whatever it may be, there's no temptation taking you, but which is common, but God's not going to let you be tempted above what you're able. 6.14 says... It says, stand therefore having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Listen, Jesus said if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. But the, blessed, best, the breastplate of righteousness is the heart. Has to, it protects those vital organs there. His righteousness, become, his righteousness becomes your righteousness. In your heart. You know, let me ask you a question. Do you love him? I'm not talking about a doctrinal question. I'm not talking about whether or not, I'm not talking about what you do this, do that, do, you know, you don't smoke and chew and go with girls that do and all that. I'm not asking that. I'm asking you this. Do you love him? See, that was the question that Jesus asked Peter. Now, Peter denied him three times, and that's why the Lord asked him three times. But he also, he said, Peter, do you love me more than these? What are these? Do you love him more than your job? Do you love him more than your family, your children? Because Jesus one time said, you know, if you're going to follow me, you you know, and and when he's talking about hating your family, you know, he's not talking about, hey, he's talking about he's got to come first in your life. Is there something in your life that's causing you to love that thing more than Jesus? Love me more than Jesus. Your heart. Verse 16, or or excuse me, verse 15, it also tells us there, it says, that having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, feet shot with the preparation of the gospel. Do you take the God? When's the last time you shared yourself, your, your faith with somebody? And yet, 1 Peter 3.15 says, Be ready to give an answer for the hope that we have within us. You know? But why would anybody ask you for a hope? Because they look at your life and they see your life is different from the rest of the world. Verse 16, it says... Above all, taking the shield of faith that you'll be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Faith to guard against the fiery darts of the devil, the things he tries to put in your head and your mind or whatever. But faith, and, and, and what, how do you come by? You, you do it with the word of God. And in verse 17, he talks about the helmet of salvation to guard your mind, the mind of Christ. So you put on this armor. And, and then he says in verse 17, also the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. If you are to be an overcomer and live in peace, you must know what the Word of God says. You see, I, I, I love the verse in, in Hebrews 4, chapter 12. Because you see, the Bible teaches us that you're, you're, you are you're spirit, soul, and body. Not body, soul, and spirit. Your spirit, soul, and body. Who you really are is spirit. When you die one of these days, your body's going to go in the grave. But your spirit and your soul are going to go be with Jesus until you get that new body when the resurrection after the rapture takes place. But what God wants to do, see, the person who's not been born again and doesn't have the spirit of God, 
They're controlled in their life by their body, which has five senses, and their, their soul, which what has, has three things, their intellect, their decision-making, and their emotions. How many of us in here could honestly admit that we got in trouble financially because we made decisions out of either our body or out of our soul? What God's wanting to do, he wants his spirit to come in you, and so the Holy Spirit will dictate to you what you should do and what you shouldn't do. And if you look at this, it says, For the word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit. Well, why? Because there's a lot of times I want to do things the Spirit of God tells me don't do it. I need the word of God to show me what's the difference there. Piercing even to the soul and the spirit. And to the joints and marrow. What's that? That's your body. You know, that's what got us into trouble in the first place with Eve, you know. Now, there's six parts to the armor of God, and yet five of those of the six are defensive, and only one, which is a sword, is offensive. But you also notice this, that there's no armor that covers the back. What does that mean? God doesn't tell us back up. He tells us to go forward. That's what he's telling us. He's telling us to go forward. They're all offensive. And so, the notice, you know, and so God never expects us to back down, but to go forward. Now, let's simplify this. What is the armor of God? The armor of God is Jesus. You put on Jesus. And, and people say, well, you put on, I put on the armor of God. Well, listen, when did Jesus ever tell you to take it off? You don't take it off and hang it in your closet or something like that. You wear it all the time. Because you don't know when the things are going to happen. Here's the third thing. We need to understand who our enemy is. Now, Ephesians 6, 12 also tells us this, that we, and I don't know whether people really believe this, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, and spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. It also tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3, I hope we get, yeah, okay, for though we walk in the flesh, we don't war according to the flesh. Now, now, here we go. We don't war against the flesh. The problems that you have have a spiritual basis to them. And the problems that you're trying to overcome must be overcome by spiritual means. We don't war against flesh and blood. Listen, you want ministry is warfare. It's war. You know? I, we got people in here right now just because of this church. You know, some people won't walk with them, won't talk with them, or whatever else. Why? And they didn't do anything. You know? <laughs> Why? It's spiritual. You know, watch it, please. Why did they hate Jesus? Why did the, why did the Pharisees and the Sadducees, why did they hate Jesus? They hated him because he spoke against the things of the world and they spoke against their warfare. Listen, it's the word, why, why is it the Bible tells us of the four, the four things as far as, uh, uh, as far as the sower and the one of the sower that fell by the wayside? 
and, and it says that they last for a while, those people last for a while, and then they, they fall away, and when they fall away, why does it say there they fall away? It, why does it do that? It says because when persecution and tribulation comes, and then it tells you why it comes, why does it come? Because of the word. See, I like, I, listen, I like to be liked. I, I, don't, I don't want people to hate me and people to say mean things about me and put things on Facebook and all this other kind of books, books, whatever's out there. You know, I could care less, but, but I don't want that. But it's not me, it's the Word. You say, why are you so against homosexuality? I'm not against those people, but here's the thing. The Word six times says it's a sin. And I can't back down from that. Sorry. I love you, but, you know, I can't go along with you. And I won't go along with you. That, that's, that's why. It is war. It's not a nine-to-five job. It's, not, it's fighting battles in the Prince of Peace. And it's going to get worse, guys. The Prince of Peace is Jesus against his enemies. You know, it's war against you and your family and your children. And here's the part of the problem. Why is it that many people, when they have a problem, try to solve it in the flesh? Because they don't believe what it says in 612. They don't believe in spiritual problems. They don't believe we war against flesh and blood. They just think it's a problem. Oh, I can go solve it. The negative things in life are spiritual battles. Paul tells us that we are physical beings and physical bodies, but we do not use physical means to fight the battle of the Lord. And because you, you belong to the Lord, his battles are your battles. Did you know you signed up for that? The reason that many have failed in, is in trying to overcome many obstacles in your life is because you're trying to fight the battle with the wrong, the wrong weapons. You've gone to a, a gunfight with a knife. Amen. Uh, you know, uh, this is why Jesus himself says, listen to what he says, my kingdom is not of this world. Now listen to what the rest of it says. My kingdom is not of this world. And then he goes on to say, he says, for if it was, if it was, else my servants would fight. What's he saying? Is he saying, is he saying that, they, that we, we don't have any battles? Is he saying that? No, he's not saying that at all. He's saying, if my kingdom of this world, then my, my servants would go and they would fight with materialistic things. But he said they don't do that. Why? Because my kingdom is not of this world. It's spiritual battles. That's what he's trying to say. You know, Jesus is not implying there are no battles to fight. He's saying they would not use materialistic means to wage war. Many battles are lost because we use the same tactics that the children of Israel used, like in A. Think about this. They go to, they go to, they go to Jericho, Wall City. They go to New York City. And, man, they knock that thing down like no time. And, and, but then there's a guy by the name of Achan who goes and put, steals something that God told him not to, not to partake of that. Why did he tell him not to partake of it? Because that was the first fruits, and God always gets the first fruits. And, and man, that's why Abraham, his son, why did, he, why did God ask Abraham to give his son? Because that was the first fruits, the same thing. It's like he asked you to give tithe with first fruits. But by the same token, they go there, and so, you know, they, now they're going to go up. They've just defeated New York City. Now they're going to Clay City. And they go up there, and what do they do? They go to Clay City, and guess what? They get their butt kicked. 39 guys get killed. 
Why? There is no evidence whatsoever they ever came to God, they ever said, Lord, what do you want us to do? They never prayed. They never sought the Lord. The very reason that many of us are defeated in many of the battles we're facing because we've never once gone to God and acknowledged Him and said, Lord, will you help me in this? Another thing they did, they had sin in their life. You know? And that's why Joshua gets on his face and God looks at Joshua and he says to him, he says simply, he says, get up. There's sin in the camp. How many times have the Lord's people been defeated because they not once acknowledged they needed him in the battle they're fighting? Many times I've heard people say, well, the problem that the person has is, 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 is they're demon-possessed. Well, here's what I feel. I don't believe a Christian could be demon-possessed. Why? Why do you believe that, Lee? They can be oppressed. They can be oppressed, and Satan can put a demon on their trail trying to discourage them. But Jesus tells us why. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. And, and, and on top of that, the person of the Holy Spirit is omnipresent. That means inside you, he takes up every inch and every area of your body. He's not going to let a demon. Now, a demon can come and oppress you, but he cannot, he, he, he cannot come to the place that he possesses you. And I found many times, I found it's, it's not a demon, but a person who would rather say they have a demon than to admit they've sinned and come, and, and come to God and repent of it and get it over with. You know? Heard of a guy one time, and how much time I got? I ain't got much time. Uh, I heard a guy one time that uh, uh, his wife, he was always depressed and everything. His wife took him and made him, made him go to the doctor and they put him on all kinds of pills and that didn't work. And so next thing they sent him to a psychiatrist and all the psychiatrists just move the blocks around, move it from one place to another so rather than give it to the Lord and he takes it totally away. But that's okay. I mean, I, I think they do good. I'm, I'm not saying those so of don't go out here and say, well, he said you don't have to go to the psychiatrist. I'm not saying that. But he went to psychiatry, that didn't work. So then they put him in a mental institute and they were shocking him to death trying to do that. And that didn't work. And finally, some guy, and finally they came to the problem that he'd been embezzling money in his, in, in, in his, in his company. And that's why he was depressed. Listen, so many things are, are sin related that we just don't want to open up to. Uh, and that's what I found. Many times it's not a demon, but a person who would rather say they have a demon than to admit they have sin in their life need to repent. And let me just give you a word of caution here. I've heard a lot of people that are more intelligent than I am. People that know that book better than I know that book. And they tell you, you've got to be careful about messing with that stuff. I look, you know, I think about that verse of Scripture in the 18th chapter of the book of Acts, where they, uh, you know, that... Uh, Paul and them were casting out demons and people, whatever, and all of a sudden some of the people came and they wanted to try to do the very same thing. And the demon looked and spoke to them and said, Listen, now Paul I know, Jesus I know, but who are you? And jumped all over him. You better be careful monkeying with that. I, you know, we went to Sedona one time out in Arizona. That was the weirdest place I've ever been to in my life. They had a fortune tailor on every, every thing, and you see these Krishnas walking down with their hair, you know. I told Cricket, we got to get out of here. You know, so I, I mean, uh-uh. I don't want to spend my time talking about Satan. 
He gets enough publicity as it is. Let's emphasize the power of the Jesus Christ of our Lord. Here's the fourth thing. We need to realize if we're to overcome as we're going up against strongholds. Now, what's a stronghold? Well, he tells us over here. A stronghold, he tells us in verse 10, he says, For though we walk in the flesh, verse 3, we do not war according to the flesh, verse 4, for our weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God, pulling down stronghold. What's a stronghold? Listen to what a stronghold is. Verse 5, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. That's what a stronghold. Anything that goes against the knowledge of Jesus is a stronghold. You know, that's a stronghold. Anything that you're doing that is the opposite of what God has told you to do can be a stronghold. That's what it can be. You know, a stronghold. Then in verse 5, he tells us what those strongholds are. What are they? Anything cast arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Any argument, any high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Wokeism is a stronghold. And there are a lot of churches that are going this way. And, and wokeism is no more than Marxism. And, and, and you know, and, uh, man, I don't know how. Somebody, somebody's not reading the word or something. I don't know what. Strongholds are lustful. It, it, it is desiring for something that is outside the divine providence of God. You know, people who have an affair. And they say, well, I do, we just feel. Well, we don't walk by what we feel. We walk by what the faith. We walk by. We don't walk by what we see. We walk by what the Word of God. You know, you know, you know, you know. The, the temptation. Well, the, the feelings are so strong. Temptation is so strong it pulls us together. But who's bringing the pressure and who's putting that thoughts in your head and justifies that behavior? You know who it is. It's the devil himself. Psalmist said the Lord, when people won't listen, he gave them the request and he sent leanness into their souls. He gave them what they wanted. Okay, you won't, you won't listen to me, you won't do what I I'm going to give it to you. But guess what? I'm going to send leanness into your it, it is possible to desire something that is not provided for by divine provision in which there's nothing that's wrong. There's something, there's nothing wrong. Nothing wrong playing golf, nothing wrong doing all these other things, whatever's out there. But the Lord will allow us after a while to have the very thing that we hankered for. But then after we get it, we become miserable because we got it. Why is it that not, that not what happened in the Garden of Eden? Is that not what happened in the Garden of Eden? Genesis 3, 6, when the woman saw that was desirable to make one wise. But the Lord has told us if we will delight ourselves in the Lord, he'll give us the very desires of our heart. Israel's wrong desires in Numbers 21 led to idolatry, which led to unbelief, which led to bitterness, which leads to other sins. It's interesting to me when I read in the book of Hebrews chapter 12, and it talks about let us lay aside every sin and then let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily besets us. And, and I used to think it was individual sins. I don't think that anymore. I, I, I really believe it's just unbelief. And when you get down to the, the bottom there, it says, least a root of bitterness. And then from that, you read the next verse. You know what it says? Least talk, starts talking about fornication. Bitterness, if you're, you, know, you had something happen to you and you're bitter about it, listen, that'll lead to other sins. It'll make you miserable. It'll make an old woman out of you. 
or an old man out of you. You know, so so anyway, Paul writes in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, let him who thinks he stands takes heed, lest he falls. Fifth thing to realize, overcome to realize, is what our weapons are. Spiritual warfare means that we have spiritual weapons. But notice Paul does not here tell us what our weapons are. We're told that our weapons are mighty. They are effective. So, so what are they? Number one is the Word of God. You and I must be prerequisite, have confidence in the Word. It is the sword of the Spirit. Apostle Paul was a highly educated man, but he did not use the education or intellect or philosophy or politics. He used the Word of God. He came with the Word of God. He determined to know nothing among you except Christ and Him crucified. These are the words designed by God and used by God more powerful than any natural weapon. These are words of truth and light and expose errors and those opposed. Don't ever trade God's weapons for those of this world. Amen? This is what the church has done. Because the church up the road from us or wherever it is or wherever it is, whatever, they got an elephant, we think we got to get an elephant. But the truth of the matter is that elephant isn't going to take care of the needs of people. You know? When your child is sick at night, that elephant is not going to be there. It's the Word of God that you've got to come to. When you're down and you need to have money when you don't know how to do it, it's the Word of God that's got to come. When the doctor looks at you and says, you got, it's the Word of God. When somebody dies, what is it? It's the Word of God. Don't trade God's weapons for those of the world. And you and I are faced with daily opportunities, opposition for our stance in Jesus Christ. What do we do to combat these situations with? The greatest weapon we have is the Word of God. Here's the second thing, weapon we have is the Holy Spirit. How we need to realize our human weakness, but what great thing it is of knowing we were, we were sealed in the Holy Spirit and we can be empowered by the Holy Spirit. But the problem is that we don't try to develop a sensitivity and a discernment when the Holy Spirit is speaking to us. Third weapon is prayer. As you read through First and Second Corinthians, there's very little mention of prayer. But then Paul gets over in Ephesians 6.18. He lists prayer as an offensive weapon. Praying always with all prayer and supplication of the Spirit. Being watchful to this end with perseverance and supplication of all the saints. what he says. Why I'm so weak in being to overcome. As James said, you have not because you ask not. What is the great sin of America today? Sinlessness. Not for sinlessness. Prayerlessness, excuse me. We don't pray. We don't pray. We can, we can talk about 2 Chronicles 7, 14 all we want to until America realizes and goes on its knees, it ain't going to happen. You know? Here's the fourth and the final reason. Is the last phrase of 2 Corinthians 10, 5. Look at this, that last one. Bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Let me ask you a question. You got something that just you can't get off your head? You can't get out of your mind? You're just worrying the far out of you, and every time you turn around, you, you know, even when you're with people, you start thinking about it, and, and, and you know, you're happy most of the time, but then here it comes back. You lay down in bed at night, and when your mind begins to rest, and all of a sudden here it comes, and here it comes, and here it comes, and it just will not leave you alone. But I want you to notice something. It's not your obedience. It's the obedience of Christ. 
That, that's why 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 6, what it talks about, he talks about how you have virtue and, all, and faith and all these things on top of one another. But he says, to knowledge and self-control, self-control, perseverance, perseverance, and godliness. Can you go to verse 7? Can you go to verse 7? I, I, I probably screwed you up there, didn't I? Verse, 2 Peter, verse 7. Can you do that? What Bible are you using back there? You know, then have verse 7 and 2 Peter. All right. No, we got to go a little farther to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness. We got the whole ball of wax here. Uh, and, and for if these things are yours and abound, you'll be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of Jesus Christ the Lord. Go to verse 9. For he who lacks these things is short sighted, even to blindness. And what's he forgotten? Here's what he's forgotten he's forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins, he's forgotten what Jesus has done in his life. That's what he's forgotten. Now, now go back to 2 Corinthians chapter uh, uh, 10, wherever it is, verse 5. Okay. Bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Now, here's what. He has already won the battle. We're here to maintain what Christ has won. Now, and we know that the mind is the battlefield, and all sin always first starts in the thoughts and includes worry and stress and unbelief, which opposes oppose of the faith of the word and his word. That's what it does. So how do I get rid of these thoughts or worries or these temptations? Remember one of the greatest battles that was ever fought was between our Lord Jesus and the devil right after he was baptized. Remember what happened? He took him out and he tried to tempt him three times. And, and what was it? Three times that Satan came to him and tempted him. How did he overcome this? He said, so what? It is written. It is written. It is written. He gave him the word of God. He put the word of God in front of him. And that was for you and me. He could have just flicked his finger and Satan had been gone. But the Bible tells us in 10.17 how to increase our faith. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So how do I get rid of this stuff in my mind? Here's what I do. And this, this has worked for me. What has happened for me is this. That as I read that, so faith cometh by hearing hearing by the Word of God. And hearing, i got to hear the Word of God. Okay, what is the hearing? The hearing is present tense in the verb tense. Verb, it's, it's present now. It's not that I have heard. It's I'm hearing it right now. And so what I got to do, here's what I got to do. I got, I got scriptures I carry with me. And what I do, if I, can't, if I can't quote them, if I can't remember, I start reading. I start reading and I start reading and I'm reading and I say, I can do all things through Christ who me. I'm confident this very thing that he who has begun a good work in me will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. I now am him who's able to be seeing abundantly above all they think or ask according to the power that works in me. John 4, 4, you are a God, little children, you have overcome them because he is greater than you in the world. John 16, 33, these things have I spoken to you that me, you, you have peace in the world and you have tribulation, be of good cheer. I'll either quote this and quote this and quote this until I fall asleep or until those thoughts go away. This is how you combat it. Bring every thought into captivity to the Word of God. Present. Hearing the verb tense. Let's put the Word of God in front of you and quote it over and over again until it's begun. Do not be what James calls double-minded. i got to hurry. Double-minded person. I mean, they say, oh, yeah, but I, they, then they don't do it. Be truthful. Why are we so weak? Why do we, when, we, when problems assail us, do we succumb? Why, when temptations come, do we give in? Why do we give up when ministry, when things become hard, give up? Why do we allow other people and the things to dictate what we do? It's because we don't apply these principles. Let me give you 
Real quick, I'm going to read them. Five things. Five, five ways you can apply scriptures to your, to your situation. Here it is. One, believe what the Word says. Hebrews eleven six. Believe what the, without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he who comes to God must believe that He is and that He is the rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. You got to believe he's, he's going to hear you, but you got to believe He's going to do something. All right, here's the second thing. Allow Scripture to expose sin in my life. Psalms 139, what's it say? Search me, O God, and know my heart. Let Try me and know my anxieties. Uh, uh, Hebrews 4.12, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. We already read this, piercing even to the division of soul and mind and joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Pray, there's a third thing. Pray about what you have read. Ask the Holy Spirit to illuminate it. Number four, remember the truth of Scripture, the, 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 uh, uh, remember this. Remember that how the, the uh, uh, remember the truth of Scripture. Just remember it, um, you know. And, and then finally, five. Align your life with what the Bible says. In other words, do it. Faith without works is dead. All right. So, so let's let's. I'm done. I'm done. I don't have any more bullets. And so what I'm asking you to do today, I'm asking you to, you know, maybe you're here today and, and maybe you're going through a lot of stuff. First stop is just really giving it over to the Lord. Just simply saying, Lord, I don't want to handle this anymore. I'm going to turn this over to you. And, and you know, I, uh, I asked somebody one time, I never will forget, I said, well, have you turned this over to the Lord? Oh, yeah, many times. What do you take it back for? He don't want it. I mean, you know, what do you take it back for? Give it to him and let him have it and leave it there. How do you leave it? By keep quoting scripture, by keep quoting scripture, keep quoting scripture, okay? So here we go. We're going to have a verse of invitation.